all I have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. Oscars fans, welcome back. Or is it forward? Today, in a year in which time feels like one endless loop, we are talking time inversion and Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenant. I'm Jake. This is the OCC. This is a movie and a movie maker where it's easy to get very deep into the weeds very quickly, but there are many other sources that will be able to do that much better than I will. Uh, when it comes to breaking down the timelines of Tenant, pressure testing the script logic, places like New Rockstars or Screen Rant or anything on Reddit basically have that covered, and I'm not sure I have a lot to effectively add to that part of the conversation. I also want to keep today's episode spoiler-free. I know many people may not have had the chance to see this movie, especially if you live in New York or Los Angeles where movie theaters aren't even open. And even if you do live in a market where theaters are open, uh, you may or may not find it worth risking your life to go see this in a contained indoor space. As Variety writer Tommy Laffley tweeted a few months ago, I probably did say I'm dying to see Tenet at some point, but I didn't mean it literally. With all that said, as an Oscar podcast, I'm primarily going to focus today's episode on the Oscar prospects for this movie, but I do want to start with the viewing experience. So a hallmark of Many of Christopher Nolan's films are his characters successfully pulling off elaborate plans. Thinking about Inception, Interstellar to a degree, The Prestige, even Dunkirk. Well, my elaborate plan to watch Tenet in theaters was a thrilling success. And before even taking into account my thoughts on the movie itself, the excitement of just being able to see it was pretty exhilarating on its own. Before COVID happened, this movie was slated for an appropriately palindromic July 17th release, and it was probably the 2020 movie I was most excited to see. I know it can be kind of out of vogue right now, but I love Christopher Nolan movies. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. Inception is probably my favorite movie. And so an original story uh, from Nolan that's back in the realm of sci-fi, it doesn't star Matthew McConaughey is right up my alley and um, combine that with the fact that I'd say many of Christopher Nolan's movies are highly spoilable. I had quite a bit of nervousness that when the ultimate rollout plan was revealed that I wasn't going to make it to seeing the movie without having it ruined. Um, The movie, of course, it was released internationally before it was released here and that in itself kind of made me worried, but I did get through that week. The internet was really pretty good about spoilers on this one um, from my experience, Um, but I just didn't think I'd be able to stave off the online conversation long enough to wait for this movie to come out on video on demand. Um, At the same time, I value my life. My wife's pregnant. Um, I I was really not comfortable going to a movie theater with other people during a pandemic. And even just having to worry about like other audience members maybe not wearing masks or sitting too close. It just seemed like that would be too distracting anyway to to really enjoy the movie. So what I had told myself was basically 
I would be willing to go watch Tenet in a theater by myself. So if there was a showtime where there were literally no other tickets sold at all, then I would go. I wasn't sure I would be able to find that. And I don't think I could have pulled this off in the city, but it just so happens that we moved pretty recently to the suburbs of Chicago, and I just had a feeling that the demand for off-hour weeknight showtimes in particular might be a little bit lighter. I had been scouring like 10 p.m. movies. I had even thought about like, is there some time during the workday that I could get away with, with sneaking out to see it? Um, but there always be like one person or like, you know, a handful of people to scuttle my plans. But finally, on Labor Day, I got my big break. So we had been over at uh, my in-laws for a barbecue. We were driving home. I flipped open Fandango and I saw that the Regal, which is about 10 minutes from our house, had an 8.30 p.m. showtime that had no seats sold. So I keyed, on, uh, I keyed in on that timing. I just kept checking throughout the night. It was empty. It was empty. Closer and closer is still empty. Theater's about 10 minutes away. So at 8.20 p.m. roughly, I checked Fandango. There were no seats sold. Jumped in the car, drove on over. 8.30, I asked the ticket seller how many, how many seats he'd sold for the 8.30 tenant. He said, none yet. And off I went. I bought a ticket. I sat dead center in the theater, the best seat in the house, and I got to watch the brand new Christopher Nolan movie alone in what amounted to very high quality, spacious home theater. So with that context, you're probably not surprised to hear that anticipation and just the excitement of being there carried my experience for, I'd say, the first 30 minutes of the movie. Um, It's a movie that, and again, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to spoil this movie at all. But it starts really fast. It pulls you right in. Nolan often works with Hans Zimmer on his scores. Um, For this film, he worked uh, with Ludwig Gornson. I'm going to talk about him when we we start talking about kind of Oscar potential. Um, But the score in film start with this orchestral tune-up that then leads into this big action scene in an opera house it's one of the strongest cold opens for a nolan film and really for like a lot of films it's it really pulls you in it's kind of bond-like which is i guess true for like all of tenant um and so as this movie's off and running i'm just happy to be there i'm placing myself completely in christopher nolan's hands not really putting a critical eye on the movie necessarily for the most part like especially for the first half, I'm just sort of enjoying the fact that I'm there. I feel like I'm getting away with something. So ultimately, this movie has a 3.6 out of 5 star rating currently on Letterboxd, which is not great. That's that's the lowest for a feature film for Nolan since Insomnia in 2002. I ended up giving it four stars personally, but I think a lot of the criticisms of this movie... Um, that I think drive that score are criticisms that I don't disagree with. Um, Like I said, I'm going to get into the Oscar prospects as as I see them in a little bit, but in line with one of the most frequent criticisms of this movie, one place I do not expect to see this movie show up in the Oscars is in the sound category. I think there's been a lot of discussion about the inaudibility of a third of the dialogue in this movie. I I certainly did find that to be the case. There are many lines, key central lines to the story 
that are delivered via walkie-talkie <laughs> over gunfire and explosions by characters wearing masks, uh, not related to COVID, but uh, there are a number of masked characters in this movie. It, it, I know we ran into this with Bane and The Dark Knight Rises and some other Nolan work, but it is difficult to understand important dialogue in Tenet. That is never good. It's kind of doubly bad, I'd say, when the plot in general is is already pretty hard to follow, even, even when you can hear the dialogue. I do have a distinction to offer here. Um, I, a lot of people that I've read have, have talked about the plot and said that the plot didn't make sense. I, I don't agree that it doesn't make sense. I think it is hard to follow, which is different than it not making sense. Because I, I think that if you do go back and choose to read all the online breakdowns and immerse yourself in the exercise of spelunking for hidden plot threads and reconstructing the different events and basically trying to solve the puzzle of the story, I actually do think it ultimately makes sense. But I also think it is very difficult to do that simply by just sitting and watching the movie. I think it requires external materials. This is similar to the conversation I had last week with Adam Lippi about I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the new Charlie Kaufman film. I saw these on back-to-back nights, uh, which my brain was actively tired afterwards. Um, Those are two pretty strenuous nights of brain activity watching I'm Thinking of Ending Things followed by Tenet. But all that to say, I think the plot ultimately can make sense. My bigger, not issue with it, but just my feeling about it, which I haven't really seen talked about anywhere else. The plot is kind of one big MacGuffin. So if you're not familiar with with the term MacGuffin, this is a term that Albert, Alfred Hitchcock used to use. He didn't coin it, but he used to use it and kind of he made it famous. He used it to talk about like a device in a story that is used as the motivation for the primary action in the story, but it's sort of devoid of meaning in of itself. Um, it, it's pretty common. I mean, it's like a you see it in a lot of big blockbuster movies. I remember Roger Ebert specifically citing it um, for the movie Transformers and like the All Spark, this thing that they're all trying to chase and get, but ultimately like nobody really knows what it is. That's a MacGuffin. So there's a lot of MacGuffin going on in Tenant, and that that's fine. That doesn't make it a bad movie, but I do think it makes for a weaker story than. Something like Inception, which for all the criticism some people have of it, and I did a whole episode with the On Second Watch people where I tried to defend the honor of Inception against kind of the late-breaking internet hate of it because I think it's it's a really excellent movie. And I see it as a fully formed story with actual stakes with, yes, it has a puzzle, kind of like how Tenet has a puzzle, but it also has human motivation. I think it has deep substance. You can get there part of the way on Tenant if you fill in some of the blanks for yourself, except on the human part. Um, I, I, it's a little bit devoid of sort of that personal touch. Um, it's, it's a lot more just a puzzle. And I think because of that, maybe, it's not as strong story-wise to me as some of Nolan's other work. It's a very sound puzzle, and, and that's where I come back and say that I do think this movie can make sense. I think that if you take the time after you watch it to, to really try to piece together the timeline and figure out the puzzle and, and any twists, and I think that it can work. I, I just don't think it's 
as strong as some of his other work. With that said, I still really liked it. It was a lot of fun. And in fact, um, I've actually seen one review that kind of praised it on the plane that I'm talking about. They basically said, like, unlike some other Nolan movies, um, this doesn't try to be anything more than just a big, jolly $200 million good time and that it might be better for that. I don't think I fully agree with the fact that it's better for that. I, I think that, like, Inception is better with more substance. But ultimately, I do think that it that it's really fun. Um, and, and I think above all, like, I was just excited to have, in, to have gotten to see it. Um, and I, I, I do recommend it if you can see it in a way that you feel is safe. Let's turn our attention to the Oscars. Um, Christopher Nolan has been nominated for five Oscars. That includes the nominations for Best Picture on Dunkirk and on Inception, uh, which were from a producing capacity. He was also nominated twice for writing on Memento and then again on Inception, although he lost to the King's Speech, which is just makes me furious, but I'll leave that alone. Um, and then he, was, he has one directing nomination for Dunkirk. His films have received many more Oscar nominations and wins uh, than that in other categories across cinematography, production design, visual effects, art direction, sound, score, um, and of course, uh, one for supporting actor um, for Heath Ledger posthumously. The movies uh, also have yielded some notable snubs. The Dark Knight, for example, set off somewhat of a firestorm by not being nominated for Best Picture. In fact, the very next year, the Academy upped the nominees in the category uh, for Best Picture from five to a variable number between five and ten. And I think a lot of people feel that that was partially in response to the backlash uh, of The Dark Knight not getting nominated. I think the conversation that happened a few years ago about a potential most popular film Oscar also have some ties back to The Dark Knight getting nominated. So that's a pretty famous example. Um, I also talked on the Inception pod a few months ago about Nolan being snubbed for Best Director on Inception. I don't want to get fired up again. There's a lot of Oscar history already relative to Christopher Nolan, who is, I guess, really is one of the notable filmmakers of his generation as an auteur. He's somebody who can make a big non-IP movie like Tenet and get a $200 million budget. At least he could before Tenet. We'll see, given some of the box office returns, if he can in the future. But this this is Oscar relevant, for sure. But where do I see it actually netting out at this year's Oscars? Well, overall, before we even dig into the merits of the various aspects of the movie itself, the Academy voters are, are human. And I do think that cultural narrative builds and, and plays into these votes and nominations. It's not an algorithm. It's not totally dispassionate and devoid of, of the influences of, of the critical conversation that surrounds it. And Tenet has highly underperformed at the box office, which is not entirely surprising given the personal risk anyone who goes to see it has to assume. But I bring that up because... Movies like Inception and Dark Knight and Dunkirk and even Memento, to a degree, held places in the cultural conversation that felt important and centrally relevant within that year. Tenet is relevant. It was for a long time 
kind of the great looming savior for movie theaters. Obviously, he was pushed back multiple times from July to August to September, but always on the horizon was kind of this promise that it wasn't going to go to a video on demand. It wasn't going to go to a streaming service. It was going to be seen as it was intended in a movie theater, and that was going to be the great movie theater comeback. And it held up the first part of the bargain. It played in movie theaters, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be successful. You know, we'll see what happens when James Bond and Black Widow and Wonder Woman and Dune are slated to come out still this year. Those are probably the big movie theater releases still on the schedule. But if those get bumped, I think Tenet has sort of failed in its cultural stake. It it was being set up as as the movie that's going to bring back the theatrical experience. And I think that in sort of going belly up may end up kind of dissuading any future near-term theater exhibition, which is exactly the opposite of being the comeback leader and reviving theaters. And so if it's kind of set that expectation and it doesn't deliver again it against it, and then on top of that, there's pretty mixed critical response and maybe even some blowback against Christopher Nolan and Warner Brothers from people who feel like putting this out in theaters was irresponsible. All that to say that when you start thinking about the 10, 11 nominee type of movies, the best picture nominees, I don't know if the momentum is going to be there. I don't at this time see this being a content in contention for best picture. I don't see this as the film that Nolan gets christened for in the best director category, despite obviously there being a long legacy of artists being honored too late for the wrong films. But I don't think this is going to happen for him. I don't see it in script or in any of the performances, even though I think John David Washington and and Robert Pattinson are extremely likable. Branow is, you know, I think it's been years since playing an over-the-top villain has gotten anybody anywhere close to an Oscar. But, you know, he certainly gets to chew up the scenery. Um, But I I don't see it. I think the the above-the-line awards are out. I just don't think a tenant plays there. I do expect some success, though, below the line. Not in sound, although that would be such quintessential Academy move to to nominate a film that's 40% inaudible for sound, but I don't think the sound branch will do that. One place I do expect to see a nomination is score. Ludwig Gorenson, he's got an Oscar win for Black Panther. Um, He obviously scored recently the Mandalorian um, he's seen as one of the, the rising stars for, for scoring, and, and this film has a really great score. It's, it's driving. It, it kind of paces the action. You notice it. It's, it's really strong throughout. I, I expect there will be a nomination there. I think if you're looking for other nominations, uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema, who did the cinematography, also did the cinematography for Dunkirk, and he was nominated there. Obviously, lots of large-scale epic scenes like in any Nolan film. Nathan Crowley handled production design. He has five Oscar nominations, including four with Nolan. And then my pick in earlier predictions, which are now totally shot across the board, half the things that I picked aren't even coming out this year. But uh, when Mark Kozik and I had recorded an episode in in February um, where we tried to predict the one nomination per every Oscar category for, for 2021, my pick for Tenet was Andrew Lockley. 
Um, he did the visual effects for this movie. He's won two Oscars uh, for Interstellar and for Inception. I, think, I, I continue to think that he is a strong bet for a nomination. And then there are some other categories um, that are possible from film editing to art direction. The costume designer, Jeff Curlin, has actually won an Oscar like 24 years ago for Bullets Over Broadway. But I, I think I'm seeing in the range of four to seven below the line Oscars, somewhere like that. Not a bad night. I mean, I mean, it's a great night. Kind of what you'd expect from, from like a reputable blockbuster, a technical achievement, but one that has 3.6 out of five stars on Letterboxd. I, I just don't see this as being a movie that's able to break through above the line. That's okay, maybe, for what Tennant wants to be. But, you know, as somebody who, who loves Christopher Nolan's work, I, I do hope, and I thought that maybe Tennant, you know, if it had been better, I guess, it, that it could have had a chance to to be that movie, you know, with an original script that, that kind of gets him his elusive Oscar win in, in one of the categories where he's named. So director, writing, and, and I don't think it's going to be that. But I'm eager to see how it plays out. I, I continue to be eager for his future work. I, and, I, and I liked Tenet. Again, the experience was exciting for me on its own. I love most everything Nolan does. It ranks kind of toward the bottom for me personally within his filmography, but if you have a chance to see it safely, it's a lot of fun even for its flaws. So that's what I have this week. Appreciate you tuning in. Stay tuned. The fall festival season is starting to heat up. There's a lot to cover in the coming weeks after a slow movie year for the first eight months. So thanks, Oscar fans. Appreciate you listening. Have a great week.